Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, the Southern Baptist met in Nashville this week. We've got extended coverage of that event. Also, a new study on giving in the United States indicates that giving is up, but religious giving is not. We'll unpack the numbers. We begin with the story of an alternative to the Boy Scouts of America. The name of the group is Trail Life USA, and it's growing significantly. Yeah, Trail Life USA is a Christian leadership group that offers an alternative to the Boy Scouts, and it says its membership is up significantly since this time last year, as the Boy Scouts have faced declining membership, sexual abuse lawsuits, and pushback against its LGBTQ policies. Trail Life USA CEO Mark Hancock said that his organization has added 65 troops already in 2021, and more than 100 are in the process of being chartered. Launched in 2014 in response to the Boy Scouts' decision to allow openly gay males into the program, Trail Life is Christian-based, it's K-12, through centers on outdoor activities that help grow character, uh, help boys understand their purpose, serve their community, and develop lifelong leadership skills. It's headquartered in Greenville, South Carolina, actually in the little town outside of Greenville called Aiken, South Carolina, where it has a camp. They now have more than 800 troops around the country, about 40,000 members in all 50 states. And I should say in a spirit of full disclosure that I have been involved with Trail Life USA since its inception and um, am a strong supporter of the group. Now, the Boy Scouts, on the other hand, are in steep decline. Yeah, they are. And I should also say in the spirit of full disclosure, Natasha, that I was very involved in the Boy Scouts over the years as well. I'm an Eagle Scout. I met my wife uh, when we were both on staff at a scout camp, Philmont Scout Ranch in New Mexico. Both of my sons are Eagle Scouts. And uh, my daughter, um, who you know, Natasha, uh, served on the staff at Philmont Scout Ranch for five years. So we've had a very long association with the Boy Scouts, but I'm sad to report that they have um, lost their way in many ways. They've seen significant membership declines in recent years, 26% in the last 10 years alone. Uh, They are on the verge of bankruptcy. They face hundreds of allegations of sexual abuse. Uh, In February of 2020, uh, they filed a bankruptcy plan that we reported on here at Ministry Watch that sets aside $300 million to settle these sex abuse claims. But the victims say that that's not going to be nearly enough, uh, that they say that the claims could be $100 billion or more. Um, Now, I don't know whether that's the right number either. But the bottom line is, is that the numbers that are now being talked about far exceed the assets that the Boy Scouts have. Um, Trail Life has tried to remain mostly on the sidelines during this controversy. Um, They did, though, issue this statement. In our opinion, the direction of the BSA over the last five years or six years seems to indicate that they've blurred the lines on sexuality at a time when boys can have a lot of uncertainty and confusion in their lives. This is dangerous, 
doesn't protect boys or girls from sexual abuse or exploitation, the statement said. And Trail Life USA has developed very rigorous, by the way, uh, safety procedures, background checks, youth protection training for their program. Our next story involves missions organizations and the practice of raising support, which is common for missionaries and many others in Christian ministry, but it raises both ethical and financial reporting issues. Yeah, that's right. It does. Uh, Imagine, for example, that your favorite ministry reports that it spends only a small percent, maybe three, four, five percent of its total income on fundraising. That sounds like compelling stewardship. But uh, does that number really account for the time and money that individual missionaries spend on raising their own support? Uh, We asked these questions of some of the largest foreign mission organizations in the country, and the answers we received um, suggest that individual missionary fundraising often isn't clearly included in the organization's overall fundraising budget. In other words, the organization could be spending much more on fundraising if you really count all the time and money involved than their financial statements actually disclose. Can you give me an example? Well, I can. Yeah, Wycliffe Bible Translators, pretty well-known group, 75 years old, has an annual budget of more than $200 million a year. Uh, It has more than 3,000 staff members working in 56 countries around the world, and almost all of those staff members raise their own support. Wycliffe Bible Translators says it spends about 8% of its overall budget on fundraising, but it takes 10% of the money that's raised by the missionaries, it says, for administrative support of those missionaries, but that's money that the missionaries themselves have to raise. Further, the missionaries spend their own funds raising money. On average, missionaries spend about 15 months just raising money, putting a support team together, uh, either right before or in the early months after they have joined Wycliffe staff. And they spend, on average, about 26 days a year working on fundraising after they join staff. Uh, Considering that there are only 22 business days in every month, that means that more than a month a year, uh, close to 10% of a missionary's time is spent on fundraising, over and above the 8% that Wycliffe says that it spends on fundraising. Wow, that's really fascinating and a little bit troubling. But is Wycliffe Bible Translators normal or an outlier? Well, it's pretty normal for the large missions organizations, except perhaps that Wycliffe Bible Translators did have the highest fundraising and administrative uh, uh, tax, if you will, if you want to call it that on the fundraisers. Most uh, of the missionaries uh, raised their own support in all of the large missions organizations, and the missionaries had to do their own fundraising. Uh, It raises uh, troubling questions about how much really is being spent on fundraising, how much time missionaries themselves are spending on that task rather than being, well, actual missionaries. Our next story involves allegations of sexual abuse at an organization that has ties to Supreme Court Justice Amy Connie Barrett. Yeah, Katie Logan says that she was sexually abused in 2001 when she was 17 years old by a teacher and coach at a Christian school in Minnesota, and that school is part of a nationwide community called People of Praise. She told her parents, reported the abuse to the school in 2006, but nothing happened either time. The teacher remained a member of that Minnesota community and a leader of the school, even as he continued to generate 
generate other concerns about his behavior from other students. Logan finally went to the police in 2020, um, right about the time that her little-known Christian community uh, didn't become wasn't little known anymore. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett, who had been a former member of the group, had been nominated for the U.S. Supreme Court. And now People of Praise says that it's hiring two law firms to investigate the charges uh, that now it's willing to admit that it failed to address uh, earlier, including these other uh, accusations as well. One law firm will investigate Logan's, Katie Logan's charges, and um, Robin Maynard, who is a former sex crimes prosecutor, uh, will be working for another law firm that will investigate all of the other claims. Some of them took place as far back as the 19. 19- 80s, uh, whenever the people of praise was actually then called the servants of the light. What role does the notoriety that the group gained after Amy Coney Barrett's um, was nominated play in the story? Well, probably some. Uh, I don't want to make too much of a deal out of that. A lot of, I think, critics of Amy Coney Barrett has been trying to paint her as being, you know, um, closely aligned with this group that has allowed sexual abuse. And and I think that, you know, there is enough truth in that narrative um, that it has gotten some attraction in the national media. But I think for the most part, um, uh, all that the national attention has done is motivate the group to do, finally do the right thing. Um, the, the attention has allowed the victims to be heard on a national stage. The Washington Post conducted a lengthy investigation of the charges, speaking to eight women and one man who said that they were sexually abused as children when they were a part of the community. And they seem to be credible allegations. It's not clear that this story would have gotten the attention of the Washington Post, though, if it had not been for Amy Coney Barrett's uh, nomination. But for whatever the reason, this new development is a positive one for the victims and for transparency and accountability generally. Warren, before we go to our first break, you have one more story about sexual abuse, but this one has a strange twist. Yeah, it does. A a jury has imposed a half million dollar fine against a Georgia pastor uh, who went to trial for sexual abuse of a young congregant uh, after he refused uh, an offer to publicly apologize for his actions and avoid the the lawsuit. Uh, A jury in the uh, Superior Court of Muskogee County, which is in central Georgia, uh, ruled in favor of the accuser, Laquisha Jackson, and imposed a $500,000 verdict against Pastor Lou. Lewis Clemens of a group called Kingdom Awareness Ministries uh, in Columbus, Georgia. That there was sexual abuse is bad, but the victim and the judgment doesn't seem that unusual. So what's the twist? Well, the twist is that uh, offer to apologize that LaQuisha Jackson had said that she would settle the case out of court for zero dollars, that all she wanted was an apology from the pastor. It was only after the pastor refused to give her an apology uh, that Jackson and her attorney took the case to court. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, we will take a look at developments this week in the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. 
Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Let's continue with an event that has been in the headlines all week, and that is the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville. The biggest surprise of the week was the election of Ed Litton as president. Yeah, Ed Litton uh, is the senior pastor of Redemption Church in Saraland, Alabama. It's a church that has more than 3,000 members. And he was elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention um, on Tuesday. A relative unknown uh, nationally, Litton has made racial reconciliation a hallmark of his work since at least 2014. And um, that, of course, many of our listeners might remember was the year that Michael Brown died, was killed, murdered in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, Litton uh, won in the second round of voting on Tuesday, defeating conservative Georgia pastor Mike Stone, who is a former SBC executive committee chairman. And he'd been the favorite of the conservative Baptist network which has been critical of SBC leadership, saying that it has become captive to liberal ideas. Uh, In the first round, Stone and Litton both received about a third of the 13,000 or so votes that were cast. And Southern Baptist Theological Seminary President Al Mohler uh, drew about a quarter of the vote, and Randy Adams, an executive of the Northwest Baptist Convention, was a distant fourth place. Um, But uh, Randy Adams and Al Mohler had to drop out of the race for the second round. There was a runoff between uh, the two and Litton, uh, who had been the SBC's first vice president in 2001, got the nod. He became the 63rd president of the SBC, took over from J.D. Greer, who was the pastor of the Summit Church uh, here in North Carolina, where I am, over in Durham. And um, J.D., by the way, had served an extra year as president uh, because of the cancellation of the 2020 annual meeting amid the coronavirus pandemic. Some media accounts have called Lytton's win a defeat for the conservative wing of the Southern Baptist Convention, a win for moderates. Yeah, that is one of the narratives, but I'll be honest with you, Natasha, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Lytton is about as theologically conservative as they come. He fully embraces the Baptist faith and message doctrinal statement. It's not exactly a doctrinal statement, but I won't go into the details of why they don't call it a doctrinal statement, but it is a clear statement of what Baptists are supposed to believe in. And he believes it. Um, He is a pro-life, pro-traditional marriage guy. He believes in the inerrancy of Scripture. I don't know how you could call his views liberal in any reasonable assessment. However, I do think Lytton does represent something different for the SBC. The SBC and much of American evangelicalism has embraced a political populism and has attempted to baptize the political populism as a Christian worldview, which of course it is not. Um, Also, I should mention that the vote was close. Um, So this kind of populism is not dead in the SBC, but this week anyway, it didn't win. The election of a new president wasn't the only contentious issue the SBC messengers discussed. 
Yeah, sexual abuse and critical theory were also at the top of the list. Uh, On the issue of sexual abuse, the executive committee rejected a request to broaden an inquiry into the handling of sex abuse allegations to include all entities in the SBC and to culminate um, that um, research into a public report. But they did agree to hire an outside firm to look into specific allegations. They agreed that any church leader who had been uh, an abuser, is disqualified from ministry going forward. Uh, So there was some progress in this area, even if most victims groups and transparency advocates such as Ministry Watch don't think that they went far enough. And what about critical theory? Well, critical theory is a bit more interesting. The SBC has roundly rejected critical theory in the past. In fact, outgoing President J.D. Greer's condemned it. Russell Moore, the former president of the SBC's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, has condemned critical theory and told me personally that he knows of no one in any leadership role Uh, in any SBC church or seminary who uh, publicly, actively embraces or even privately embraces uh, critical theory. Despite that, a small faction in the SBC requested that the budget of the SBC be amended to, and I'm going to read here directly from that proposal, to prohibit any funds being allocated to any institution, agency, or entity that in any way supports, promotes, or advocates any tenet of critical theory, critical race theory, or intersectionality. Uh, But there's no evidence that any SBC funds are currently being used for these purposes. And besides, said J.D. Greer, who was still the chair whenever they were considering this resolution, there's no mechanism for administering such a policy since the Southern Baptist institutions operate more or less autonomously. So uh, that proposal was ultimately rejected uh, by the executive committee. And J.D. Greer also said this, the vast majority of Southern Baptists and of convention leaders, both black and white, recognize that uh, CRT, critical race theory, is an ideology that arises out of a worldview at odds with the gospel. It is clear that as a convention, we need to clarify and strengthen our position on it, but we should also heed the counsel of our leaders of color who tell us that our denunciations of justice movements in the past have fallen on deaf ears uh, when we remain silent on the suffering of our neighbors. Warren, we're going to take another quick break. When we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we like to use this last little segment as sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? 
Well, a Church of Christ youth pastor in Florida was arrested for abusing a 17-year-old girl in his youth group. Uh, the man was uh, is the man is Andrew Weaver, 29 years old and married. He had taken the girl to a hotel room, but was interrupted by a member of the hotel's housekeeping staff who saw what was going on and called police. That set in motion a series of events that eventually uh, revealed a months-long affair between the now former youth pastor uh, and this girl. Warren, Bethany Starin has turned in another interesting shiny light story. What can you tell me about it? Well, it's about a ministry operating on the southern border of the United States. It's called Abara, and it provides physical, emotional, and spiritual support for asylum seekers attempting to come to the U.S. when they're fleeing for their lives or perhaps fleeing religious persecution, some form of tyranny in Central and South America, or maybe they get there from other parts of the world and um, want to enter the country through Mexico. Uh, Since it's launching in the spring of 2019, Abara has cared for more than 10,000 asylum seekers, some very short term, maybe a meal or toilet items, uh, but often the care is long-term, spanning several months. Uh, Their main role has been to fill the gaps at more than 30 shelters operated by government and government contractors on both the the, on the border, both at Juarez, Mexico, and El Paso, Texas, on both sides of the border, I should say. There's been a lot of controversy regarding immigration in recent years. How does this group navigate that? Well, it's a great question, and that's one of the things that I thought was interesting about this story. Abara's executive director, Sammy De Pasquale, takes a gospel-centered approach. That's unusual in and of itself. He says that his group sets aside the political issues and tries to meet the needs of the people that are presented right before him. Also, it's important to note that this group works with asylum seekers. He's quick to point out that seeking asylum is a legal way to enter the United States. He said, if you're fleeing for fear of your life, you have the opportunity to make your case legally under the law. Seeking asylum is not illegal entry into the country. This week, we saw the release of a much-studied annual survey of philanthropy. Can you give us some details? Yeah, giving to religious organizations went up slightly in 2020, uh, while groups focusing on civil rights and the environment saw the biggest increases. Uh, the research is part of an annual study by a group called Giving USA. They've been uh, doing this study annually since 1956. Uh, they look at data and trends uh, from the philanthropy philanthropic sector, uh, the religion category uh, grew only about 1% last year to about $130 billion. However, if you made adjustments for inflation, the dollar amount actually dropped by 0.2%, which is a little bit troubling for those of us who follow this sector. Giving USA estimated that donations by individuals, corporations, foundations, and bequests to about 1.1 billion charities and 220,000 uh, religious organizations went into this study. It's, by the way, uh, put on in conjunction with the Lilly Foundation of Philanthropy at Indiana University. And again, as I said, overall uh, giving rose, but the 
real story is in where that rise came from. Uh, Foundation giving went up the most, 17%, and bequest, uh, in other words, people who've died and are leaving estates, also rose by about 10.3%. And finally, Warren, what ministries are we featuring in the Ministries Making a Difference column this week? Yeah, the American Bible Society is one of them. Uh, They've released the first two chapters of their 11th annual State of the Bible 2021 ebook, um, which includes trends and findings of what is happening with Bible engagement in this country. They surveyed more than 3,000 Americans and uh, tried to figure out how Americans are relating to the Bible. Um, The number of Americans opening the Bible in the past year actually went up, and uh, 128 million Americans are reading the Bible with some regularity. Uh, The um, rest of that study, by the way, will come out in uh, bits and pieces throughout the rest of 2021. And I should also mention that now that summer is here, a lot of us are getting outdoors, and we've got one other ministry that we were featuring in the ministry making a difference column this week. It's a pretty interesting one from my point of view. The Assemblies of God actually has an outdoor chaplaincy ministry. It's called U.S. Missions Outdoor Nations Network, and um, they place people, uh, missionaries, chaplains at um, Yosemite National Park, places like the Appalachian Trail, and they provide services, counseling, uh, support, and uh, it's pretty unusual and interesting ministry. And before we go, do you have any quick notes? Yeah, a couple of quick uh, housekeeping items. First, I wanted everyone to know that the audio version of uh, my new book, Faith-Based Fraud, is now out. You can find it by going to audible.com or to amazon.com. And also, I wanted you to know that we're approaching our fiscal year end here at Ministry Watch. We're 100% donor supported. We don't take advertising. We don't take money from the ministries we cover. And if you believe uh, what we're doing here has value, which is, of course, to bring transparency and accountability to the ministry marketplace, I hope you'll support us with a gift before June the 30th uh, so that we can begin our new fiscal year in a strong position. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. And by the way, if you can't support us financially, that's that's cool. I get that. I've uh, been there a time or two myself. You can pray for us. We would really be grateful for your prayers. And there's also a really quick, easy, and free thing that you can do to help us, and that's just to rate us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for search engines to recommend us to others. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Rod Pitzer, Bethany Starin, Adele Banks, Bob Smithania, Steve Raby, Kim Roberts, and Ann Stike. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. 